Hello, friends. friends, and welcome to Mad as a Hatter, a Curiosities and Conspiracies podcast. Will somebody let me know if I keep switching those two around? <laughs> I feel like I say either Conspiracies and Curiosities or Curiosities and Conspiracies. Oh, I don't know. I, see, we don't listen to our own, so. Yeah, only when editing, and even then we're like not really listening. <laughs> we're more listening to... There's a two-hour-long pause here. What were we doing? <laughs> what was happening in this moment? <laughs> or we'll just hear, like, angry whispers at each other going, and we're like, what are we saying? And we can't hear. We just hear, and we see the little sound waves, and yeah. It's just weird. It's fine. Our life is fine. Welcome to episode eight, I believe. Yes. Yes. Where it is Wednesday, which means you are hearing from me, Paige, and Darby, <laughs> as she's working on her angry orchard over there. Sorry, I had cider in my mouth. <laughs> Not a bad problem to have. <laughs> I decided that this time I'll drink cider because apparently I'm not funny enough. Uh, I'm not saying you're not funny enough. No, you're very funny. We've had some <laughs> feedback. You could say that I am definitely the more talkative one when it comes to the other person's commentary. My bad, guys. I'm, I'm a person who, when I think, I talk it out. I have to talk it out to process. But you have been heard. I'm a Gemini. This is us telling you to tell. I'm an Aquarius, so. It makes sense. That means I'm quiet by it, nature. It makes sense. So I'm sorry. Tell You're us, what is to your Gemini. sign? Ooh, yes. Who is your favorite? We need like a star map. <laughs> it's okay. I'm the favorite. I'm giving you permission to say Darby. <laughs> That's okay. I'm never the favorite. <laughs> Your mother listens to this. Hi, mom. <laughs> Anywho, moving on from Darby's life. I'm going to get yelled at as soon as she listens to this. It's fine. Can I be the fly on the wall for that? Not really yelled at. More like scolded. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I'm over so often. It's like... It's like Paige isn't even one of our nine, but she is the favorite. Paige is going to be in the basement like she was, what was it, three weeks ago? Where they yeah. were just like, oh, she's just in the basement. It's fine. Darby's not here, but it's fine. Yeah, I had left my car out front because Darby was giving me a ride somewhere. And so they saw my car and just assumed that I was in the house without Darby just hanging out. Which, and without like, anybody if that's seeing not, her, she just walked in. Yeah, if that's not like the best acceptance ever, I felt right at home. And I wasn't even here. Oh my gosh. Anywho... It is Wednesday, so you are hearing from me, um, and it is our psychology topic, which is the bystander effect. Yes, I'm so excited for this one. Yes. If you... I have, hope you did the case study that I think you did. I'm pretty sure I did. I, I put in a, cute, a few other little nuggets there of case studies. Just I'm going to be upset depth. if you didn't. I'm sorry. Well, there's a lot of pressure now. <laughs> there a is. Pressure. A lot of pressure. Pushing down on me. Down. Sorry, you're going to hear a lot of one-liners from me. <laughs> I'm terrible for a karaoke night, but if you need me to name that song, I got you. <laughs> I'm like, what was that app Shazam? So tonight on Karaoke with Paige and Darby. <laughs> Cover your ears now. <laughs> we have switched podcasts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the Screaming Goat Karaoke Night. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry, guys. We're four minutes in and under I haven't even sea, made it through the intro. Under the sea. That was your Megalodon episode, which was last Sunday. So, no. I know, but it just popped into my head. So, <laughs> yes, if you haven't checked out Darby's Megalodon episode, I highly recommend. It's a lot of us looking at pictures of weird fish and freaking out. Well, mostly. The ocean's me. fun. True. It is. Um, so, the bystander effect, which is also fun. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's fun for me. All psychology topics are fun for me. And I get the weird looks of, did you just say murder is fun? Yes, most likely I did. <laughs> so, sorry. Fun, entertaining, interesting, same thing. Yeah, it's all good. Yes, I'm so sorry. Every one of my episodes starts with not being on topic. At least this time it wasn't about Marvel, so we were a little bit more on topic. True. If you're still listening to me after that conversation, thank you. <laughs> still a Marvel fan, still a Star Wars fan. I'm just slacking a little bit. I demand that each and every one of you parades. No. 
spams our email with Marvel facts or theories. And I will force Paige to answer all of them. What? I'm not, it's, someone's going to give me this random thing. I was like, Mm-mm, probably right. <laughs> Sounds good. 10 out of 10. After she's answered so no. that it's even funnier. No, I'll probably like be super in depth with your theories and be like, yes, I don't even know, but let's do this. I don't know this character, but sure. I Google search away. Let's do it. Anyway, bystander effect. Okay. You let me do... No, I'm joking. I love our off-topic tangents. <laughs> it's a train crash that won't stop. We are a wreck. <laughs> it's fine. So what is bystander effect? So this phenomena... Phenomena. Phenomena. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but this phenomena is the presence is that when you are around other people or there's the presence of other people, you it discourages an individual from intervening in an emergency situation. So say you're in a crowd full of people and all of a sudden an accident happens, um, someone collapses, you, you see a fight break out. The more people, the less likely it is that somebody is going to act. Because someone else is going to re- react. Exactly. So this is very similar to the volunteer's dilemma, which you will see commonly in a college classroom, (laughs) which is um, a delay while a group decides who will volunteer. (laughs) So we're all mentally picking out the sacrifice. Pretty much. (laughs) So everybody gets the same benefit and the volunteer doesn't get any extra benefit for volunteering. So they just have to do something that they don't want to do in order to benefit the entire group. So it's like, Wait, you want me to do something that I don't want to do so that we all get the same benefit that I would get by not volunteering? Yes. Sounds about right. So any college course ever in which you have to speak for your group. Which is Paige every single time. Every time. She's the sacrificial lamb. I, you know, I was, as I was typing this, I was like, oh my God, this is me. I'm on to your trickery. Literally, we all just look at Paige and are like, so, <laughs> you ready? And I'm like, we didn't even draw sticks. <laughs> you will always get the short stick. Oh, is it because I'm short? That's not fair. <laughs> yes. <sighs> so the concepts that relate to this. So what, so breaking down bystander effect, what actually happens psychologically during this moment in time? So we're going to do the record scratch freeze frame. This is how I ended up here. (laughs) You know that meme? I love that one. I do, but I can't make the noise where I was going to, but I can't. I don't know. That's not working. Yeah, no. (laughs) I'm bad at it. I can't do it. But record scratch. So pause on this moment. How did I get here? Exactly. Pause on this moment. You, you're standing in a crowd. Tons of people around you. And there's an emergency happening. There's a baby on fire. (laughs) It was the first emergency that popped in my head. Okay, I have more questions. How did the baby get on fire? Okay, you know what? These are the questions you'll have to face in this moment. But first. (laughs) Those are the questions I'm thinking when I see a baby on fire. How? How? Okay, probably a less old woman collapses. Okay. All right. I don't have to ask how on that. (laughs) So the first thing that happens psychologically, well, it doesn't really come in order. This is just a couple of different things that can happen, mm-hmm. um, that do happen. Um, the first is the perceived diffusion of responsibility. So um, the onlookers are less likely to intervene if there are other witnesses who seem likely to do so. So you're standing there. The old woman's on the ground. You're looking around. You're like, well, that guy's wearing a suit. He looks pretty smart. That woman looks like she's getting to rep, step in. So you're diffusing all. Look, she's in scrubs. <laughs> yeah, there's a woman in scrubs. You're diffusing all amount of responsibility that you have to the other people around you. But keep in mind, they're also doing that. Mm-hmm. That can tie into your own self-esteem, how you view yourself, society, your own questions of if there's anybody better than you in that moment. Mm-hmm things like that just like there's somebody probably in this crowd who's more likely to respond than i Mm -hmm. okay next is social influence we've talked a little bit about so you're monitoring the people around you what are they doing this is rooted deeply in our society's rules of um conforming 
being like everybody else, being sheeple. <laughs> um, you very much so you look at others to know how to act in a situation. You're like, are they panicking? Should I panic? What are they doing? Are they stepping in? Okay. Probably so, also not wanting to get in the way. Exactly. That self-esteem. You're like, I took a first aid course once a couple years ago, but there's probably somebody who just took one or is more qualified than I. Um, yep. yep, yep, yep. Yes. There's another phenomena called pluralistic ignorance. So this is the situation that, yes, I know you want to Am I a pearl? <laughs> Plural, as oh, in multiple. I heard pearl. <laughs> Pearlalistic. It's a shiny, beautiful ignorance. I was like, oh. <laughs> no, plural, as in multiple Tell people. Me I'm a pearl. <laughs> multiple ignorance. <laughs> so this means you are less likely to react if others don't seem bothered or concerned. So it's like, oh, am I overreacting? Okay, nobody else seems that bothered, then I shouldn't be bothered. It's not that big of a deal. Just kind of remaining ignorant of what's actually going on in the situation. Mm -hmm. And then the next kind of like big thing that happens is the approach avoidance conflict. So this is me. (laughs) Pretty much. I've felt this phenomenon on like a deep personal soul level. (laughs) So this is something when something... So like an event that's about to occur, a choice that you have to make, a thing has both positive and negative consequences that make it both appealing and unappealing at the same Mm. time. So you freeze. Pretty much. (laughs) You're like, if I do the thing, this good thing will happen, but these bad things will also happen. So like it is a good thing, but it's a bad thing. It's like picking between two ice cream flavors. (laughs) There's, it's either option's great, but it also has its drawbacks because you're missing out on the other one. It's... So with the bystander, they want to act and be heroic, but they're also worried about the consequences, like if they jump to a conclusion, if it's not their business, if they get injured, things like that. Um, So they are stuck between decisions. If they get sued. Exactly. That is a really big thing going on right now that is causing a lot of people to not want to act, Mm -hmm. Um, that people are getting sued for being Good Samaritans, and there are Good Samaritan laws that protect them, but not always. Yeah. Um, I know personally, um, we have heard of there are lifeline laws. Um, if you call 911 or call for assistance, and but you've also been inviting in like underage drinking or things like that, you are exempt because you called for help. Things like that. Things that try to promote and help the bystander effect. And the case study that I'm going to talk about actually led to a lot of these laws. Ah. Yes. So... A lot of these things, you're diffusing the reality, you're judging yourself um, comparatively to the other people around you, who's better, who's better suited, should I do this, shouldn't I, so you're frozen in time. So a little bit more on the personal level, the bystander yourself, there's this social paralysis, as you said, when you're freezed in the face of a social situation that you don't know how to act. Um, There's that dilemma between your own individuality and group conformity, should I stand out, should I go with the group, what should I do? Should I be the person, the lone person acting, or should I stay with everybody else who's not doing anything? Mm -hmm. And there's that common phrase, safety in numbers. (laughs) So there's that safety net. It's like, well, everybody else was doing it. And then I can always hear my mom's voice in the back of my head. Well, if everyone's jumping off a bridge, are you going to do it? Depends on how high. True. (laughs) Sorry. Not for me, actually, because I'm terrified of heights. So it doesn't matter how high that bridge is. I'm not going off it. It could be on a step stool, not doing it. But <laughs> as Paige knows, I will not get up the step stool. No, I would have to. <laughs> no, there's no way I could get Darby up a ladder. <laughs> there's many of times I've, again, had to be the volunteer to go up on the ladder, so which I, I don't mind. So She is my sacrificial lamb. I've already said this. <laughs> I'm really seeing myself in this friendship now. <laughs> I'm just going to take a sip of wine here and drown my sorrows. So, and then according to this effect, this isn't about a hero complex. This doesn't mean that one person is going to break out from the bystander effect and be a hero. Actually, the definition of the bystander effect is that a hero, that being a hero doesn't mean you'll intervene. You're actually less likely to intervene. Hmm. Even somebody who's fully qualified and who does this can still face this social paralysis. Mm -hmm. Like you could say even Superman could have a moment like that. It's just, it's human like with this diffusion. So the more 
you're more likely to be a hero when you're the only person there and you don't have to worry about other people around you and what they think. But in, your, in a crowd, you're less likely to act. And that's according to the bystander effect. I'm not saying that's the rule of all time. All of the judgment. Yes. <laughs> we're a very judgy society. Yeah, we and do. And it's kind of messed up that we're so judgy that we stop from like saving other humans is that we're so worried about what other people think which i'm a person who i'm always worried about what people think i'm not gonna lie life is hard <laughs> it is <laughs> the so, world is hard yeah so if you're feeling extra judgy today don't be the person that stops somebody else from intervening if you're feeling judgy just stay at home yes <laughs> just don't leave your house we're don't... all humans we all suffer we've all reached the bottom of an ice cream pint at one time don't just... go on the internet if you're judgy just just be nice just hide in your room stay in bed wait till the next day yeah just be nice come on guys it's really not that hard so the effect what are the consequences of the bystander effect death <laughs> yes <laughs> um so when I individuals relinquish responsibility for addressing a problem the potential negative outcomes are wide-ranging so it could be minor household issues so like all the roommates refusing to do the dishes and they just keep piling and piling and piling <laughs> nobody's taking out the trash the house is terrible until that one person finally snaps um so it could be minor like that or it could go all the way up to like violence and abuse that's unchecked so like relationships that you're worried about your friend you're like hey this seems a little controlling but you keep not wanting to be the person to say something and then eventually it escalates so there's a wide spectrum of what can happen um with this effect the ratio is it's like the more people there are the less likely that you are to act the less responsive people are um, when they do all these studies, they notice that people are a lot more likely to say something or do something when there's, like, only them or, like, two or three people. Truth. Yes. So, due to its effects and what happens in society, there are a lot of attempts to change this. Most popular and most things that most people instantly think of are college campuses. So, colleges, freshmen go into college. What are you doing in college? I didn't do much in college. <laughs> Well, what do you see every college TV show you've ever watched? <laughs> I'm thinking, what was that? Experiment X or... I haven't seen that one. Party X or... I don't, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on it. It was the one about the party where they took like a bunch of drugs and then it got out of hand and just kept going and going and going. You mean Saturday Night? Project... Project X? No, not Saturday night. <laughs> I know. No, it was literally. <laughs> Apparently, that's what Paige does on her Saturday night. <laughs> no. No, I literally, like, eventually there was a car in a pool and. <laughs> okay, Paige has not seen this movie. Friends, if you know what this movie is. Yeah, let me know. It sounds good. Please <laughs> email us. I won't watch it because it's dumb, but. Yeah. I might lock her in a room and make her watch it. No. Why am I the sacrificial lamb? <laughs> We've already discussed this, you. <laughs> so college campuses, uh, kids are going out. They're free. They drugs, underage drinking, party life, frat, fraternity sort. I'm not saying Greek life is terrible, but. <laughs> but she's saying Greek life is terrible. <laughs> I'm saying that people make poor choices at frat party. <laughs> <laughs> it's college. So a lot of college campuses, um, in order to prevent any more incidents, especially a lot of college students being afraid of getting in trouble for calling 911, there's a lot of cases about that. A lot of college kids who have died because mm -hmm. kids leave them or they're worried about them. Like, it's a scary situation to be faced with. I'm in no way um, blaming, but at the same time, this is a phenomenon that will cause you to leave somebody behind and let this happen, and it's horrible. Um, so, for example, Princeton University has a campaign uh, that they have on a website that I was looking at called You Matter, and it has a lot about, like, mental health, um, bystander intervention, when to act, um, sexual violence. It's actually pretty cool, so I recommend everybody checking it out. Just as a, had some pretty good self-care tips on there that I was mm. checking out. But pretty much every college campus, freshman orientation, you'll get something about bystander awareness and making sure that you know at least how to act if something happens, know about any laws that would protect you. Yeah. Um, Indiana, for example, where we're from, has Indiana Lifeline law, um, protects you for uh, if you call 911 and stay there and help the victim. That's what they care about. They don't care about anything else. Yeah. If anybody's curious about what 
there's like a little model of how to counteract the bystander effect to inform yourself so that you're more likely to act. It's uh, There's four steps. First one, so notice the in- incident. So any comments that seem to be escalating, behavior that seems wrong, controlling, high-risk activities, drinking drugs, etc. Like notice the behavior, say, hmm, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, second, you're going to interpret it as an emer- emergency or something appropriate to intervene. So observe, you can check in, say, hey, is everything okay here? Um, what's going on like asking questions of the people involved or you can ask somebody around you hey mm-hmm. did you see anything what do you think's going on um so just like you can decide whether or not it's something worth intervening in um number three so decide on the level of personal responsibility to intervene when i'm talking about bystander effect i'm not saying jump into a burning building <laughs> <laughs> i'm saying you do need to stop evaluate you can put yourself at risk do i need to act is it my place to act a b is it safe enough for me to act a lot of that's a rule with um paramedics that they cannot enter a scene if it's not safe because they can't help somebody if they are also injured well that's cpr first step is is the scene safe exactly you have to make you can't help anyone if you need help (laughs) also when you get on an airplane you know you put the mask on yourself first and then the other person others (laughs) so one time you're allowed to be selfish people (laughs) yes so this four-step model actually is used in a lot of cpr and first aid classes and paramedic and first responder training um and then final four step carry out the required behavior so educate yourself know how to intervene and when to do it, mm-hmm. and how to properly do it. So things like that, that will just help you. Um, one last attempt to change this and kind of bring it into public eye, because not everybody takes psychology courses, and one of my absolute favorites. Have you ever seen the What Would You Do TV show? No. Oh, wait, I've seen it on YouTube, not on TV. Yes. I take that back. That's the only where like, I watch it. Yeah, this person's doing something, and then they just watch everybody walk by. Yes. Or not, depends. Some people don't, but... Yeah, I, there are some situations on there that I've been like, I don't think I personally would have intervened just because like they're ones that you don't know for sure. Like in that one snippet of time, if you're just passing by, I don't know the ones that so the ones that I saw were all abuse videos like, oh, those are the mm. men that were like hitting the girls or screaming in their face or and it was actually really interesting to me because I think there was one one of them I was watching. There were a lot of men that just kept walking by. There was only one man that stepped in, but all Every woman that walked by stepped in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I love that show. I've seen a lot of YouTube clips about it. And I just, it is a it is a way that people are trying to bring awareness of bystander interventions and then also educate you on how you can interact mm-hmm. um, with your own safety. Again, they do do a disclaimer that these are actors and to always be careful when approaching situations. Uh, you never know when somebody will lash out on you. You don't know the full situation. Um so that's I've done that. <laughs> no, I intervened in a fight one time. Oh, were you okay? <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. No, I was fine. Um, I was in downtown. Mm-hmm. It was before I was 21. I was like 19, and I was with some friends, and but it was like a bar scene. I went out to dinner, but we walked by, and there was this couple that was like super drunk, and the guy was sitting outside of the bar, just screaming in this woman's face. Mm-hmm. Um. A bunch of profanities and like calling her names and saying a bunch of stuff about her yeah and um so me and my friend walked up and we're like hey do you want to hang out with us <laughs> to the girl and the guy turned around and started like yelling at us was like you'd be just as mad if you were in my situation and like was throwing this girl's business at us and <laughs> we just kind of ignored him and we're like you want to come with us <laughs> yes come now come now you need a safe place yeah <laughs> um yeah yeah, there's been a couple times i remember once i was in the beach with my family and this guy got pulled under by a riptide and my mom and i sprinted across the beach to help because like there's like a beach load of people who aren't helping and like my mom and i are sprinting across to like help and we're passing all these other people for anyone else who's a lifeguard and right now a little panicky because first thing about lifeguard is if you don't know how to deal with a riptide don't get involved no he had been he was out he was on the beach by then we did okay. not go out into the water okay good I'm like, don't worry i know that you literally just said don't put yourself in danger no 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 no. he was out he just needed cpr and wasn't he okay. needed the water okay. out okay um and he was in shock but 
Um, <laughs> there was that. There was a time my boyfriend and I were at Five Guys, and this family was there, and the mom just collapsed. Oh. Yeah, so we were helping with first responders. So, like, there are times. I mean, I was an RA. Yeah. So, like, we were trained to intervene. It was our job to put our nose in other people's business. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I was a lifeguard, and yeah, that's first step is like you are a first responder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not, like in no way tooting my own horn. I totally have also been the person who sat there and been like, "Am I qualified enough? I don't know. I don't know what to do." Um, yeah. I am also I've said on this podcast before an anxious person. Um, so anxiety has a lot to do with it. You don't know these people. You don't know what's going on. So I I understand both sides. I get it. Um, I'm not trying to say, oh, yeah, I did it. No, there's times that, like, it doesn't matter. You always want to say that you would do something, but when you actually get there, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. So the best way to do it is to educate yourself. Know what to do, how to do it, how to protect yourself during it. Um, And then at the end of the day, while I always advocate for helping people, it is your decision. Um, I I do say that you should help others. But if it would put yourself in danger or if you can at least seek help from somebody more qualified, I say always do it. I think you should if you can. Yes. Well, like when my mom and I were at the beach, there was a woman running down the beach asking for somebody, anybody who knows CPR. Yeah. I mean, in that case. Be that person. If you know CPR, that's the whole reason you took the course. Yeah. So go do it. But also in the instance of like where I got involved with a couple fighting, probably not the smartest idea for a 19-year-old to... Uh, probably not. ...get involved. Mm-hmm. But I had, like, five male friends with me. Yeah. So, like, when you can, cool. Mm-hmm. Do it. If it's going to put you in danger, don't do it. Yes. Or at least try find, to find somebody yes. else. Call 911. Yes. That's what they're there for. Call 911. Use your resources. <laughs> see something, say something. There's yeah, a lot of ways to intervene. That's model. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and anyway, the bystander effect is a very large gray area. Um, nobody wants to pin blame on bystanders, understandably, because that is a hard situation to be faced with. But at the same time, nobody wants to say, well, they kind of want to say, why didn't you do anything? Which yeah. we'll hear about in a second. Moving on to our actual case study and something I'm wondering if you have heard of. It is, if you even Google the words bystander effect, this pops up. You want to guess? With the dogs cheering you on in the background. (laughs) Aw, Stormy. Um, To be honest, I can't recall the name off the top of my head. I'm just hoping that you're going to say it and I'll know what it is. The murder of Kitty Genovese? Yes. Yes. This is the doozy that comes with the bystander effect. And I was sitting here reading it about it going no (laughs) just like it makes you mad it does it's it's um absolutely horrifying so this murder popularized the term bystander effect um which was coined by social psychologists bib latene and john darley uh this came obviously after the murder they Mm -hmm. analyzed the case and they're like hey there should probably be a name for what happened um, and this actually also helped establish 911 as an easy to remember number to oh, help encourage calling the police. That's important. Yeah. So originally you have like those actual, like if you ever call a direct like police department. phone numbers? Yes. So they were originally phone numbers. So they created the national 911 hotline. Terrible to like, hold on, let me call the only police department I know, which is my hometown, but I'm actually traveling right now. Where's the yellow pages? And then be like, oh, sorry, we can't help. <laughs> I don't even, I'm sorry. Super millennial comment I'm about to say right now. I don't even know really how to use a phone book. Like I can look up a person's name, but like <laughs> looking up a police department. It would be in the business section, I believe. There's a business section? That's the yellow pages. Oh. The white pages are residential. Oh, I always thought the yellow pages were the people. <laughs> I, you laugh at me. When have you ever used a phone book? Uh, when I was like 10 years old. We You're had them old. in my house. <laughs> You're old. No, I'm pretty sure I had one in my house. I just didn't use it. <laughs> I'm literally two years older than you. Did you ever have to use a pager? No. I was around during Blackberry and Motorola times. Yeah, pages were too. I remember having to page my mom okay. at work. When she was a nurse. Yeah. They were and more popular in some professions. All my mom and dad had were pagers. My dad's not a nurse. <laughs> you remember the little, because minutes were super limited. 
Oh, yeah. And you no, couldn't text. I'm... See, like, that was your early parts of my life. See, I feel so... <laughs> I just want everybody to know I'm only two years older than her. Okay. I also, like, <laughs> I really wasn't... I don't remember technology when I was younger. Like, we had a TV. Like, it wasn't that we were, like, we didn't have technology. I had an artist as a mom. We just... I don't remember being surrounded by technology. Like, if anything in my childhood, I, like... Do you remember remember my light bright? Oh, the AOL <laughs> dial-up tone. What about um, Roadrunner? No, never. Again, I the only thing I ever did on the computer was like Minesweeper. <laughs> and like a couple games of Solitaire. And then I had like the computer games. What's the one with the fish? The educational game with the fish? Like Jumpstart? No. Uh, I, Freddy I did, the Fish. Freddy Fish. I didn't do that. Oh, I did Jumpstart Kindergarten and Jumpstart First Grade. I did and, those two. But and I, I did, um, oh, Barbie Barbie Ranch or something. I had that on the PlayStation. <laughs> I had it on Where she had horses. Yeah. I loved that game. And you could ride in the different towns. Yes. And, yeah. and like through the four. That was my favorite <laughs> game. <gasps> I think I still have it. We're going to have to track it down. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh, I loved that game. I went over to one of my friend's houses and she was having her daughter play Jumpstart Kindergarten. <laughs> and it was fantastic. Oh, I love. Those computer games were the bomb. Although, let me tell you, those computer games are way advanced for what our kids learn now in kindergarten. <laughs> I Yeah, we're with the schools and they're like playing Prodigy and things. I'm like, this is, this is lame comparatively. Yeah. No. Learning your ABCs in kindergarten when, like, you had to know those before kindergarten when I went. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, we were talking about murder. Yeah, I don't know how we... Murdered Barbie Ranch. Pages. That's how we went to... <laughs> no, it was phone books. The 911. That's what it was. Yes, calling 911. <laughs> which I... Every time I... When I was typing out that sentence, I kept thinking of um, what was that little show where it has Whoopi Goldberg in it. And it's like all the kids, little rascals. Ah. She's like, what's the number for 911? <laughs> I kept thinking of that. <laughs> oh, gosh. So anyway, we're talking about Catherine Susan, also known as Kitty Genovese. So she was born July 7th, 1935 in Brooklyn. She was the oldest of five in a Catholic household. Um, kind of interesting fact. So in 1940s, 54 so like right after kitty had graduated from high school um her mom witnessed a murder and so her family moved to new canon connecticut while kitty stayed behind with her grandparents to prepare for an upcoming marriage so her mom witnessed a murder and they all moved away but kitty stayed behind kind of like a slightly bad omen that's what I was like. Is this like karma or something? Yeah, since I mean I gave this as the title of Murder of Kitty Genovese, we kind of know it's coming. Yeah. So um so that marriage she was married the same year in 1954 and it was annulled later that year. It didn't oh, last long. Okay. And you'll find out why. Oh, okay. So she moved into an apartment in Brooklyn. Um she worked as a bartender um uh after some clerical jobs that she was like screw this i don't like this and so she became a bartender and she was arrested with her girlfriend d um guadagnari and on august 1961 for bookmaking is that why it was annulled probably she has a couple girlfriends which more power to her that's awesome um gonna be honest with like older reports i'm always confused when they say girlfriend because like my grandparents say oh, oh is my that girlfriend. your girlfriend when it's like your friend yeah and that's like what they think of it as so it's i'm always def- like i had to google it um to double which, check which category of girlfriend yeah because i instantly went to oh girlfriend girlfriend so yeah but i was like i'm gonna google it just to make sure i have the right facts so Don't i was kind of sitting anyone. here like reading your body language like which which type of girlfriend? Because yes. there's two different types. Nope, that kind. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so she was arrested uh, for bookmaking. Um, so she bet on horse races with the patrons of the bar. Um, I, not going to lie, I thought about actual bookmaking. And I was like, what? Was she like copywriting infringement <laughs> on books? <laughs> How dare a woman make books? Oh, my in God. The- what was the 60s yes at especially a gay woman <laughs> how, how dare, dare you no she was betting on horses <laughs> which i never really got but whatever <laughs> i'm sorry um so she was fined 50 dollars and fired 
And the fifty dollars, I was like, "What? That seems pretty low." I actually googled it in inflation terms. That's four hundred and sixteen dollars today. Hmm. So from the sixties, quite a rise in price. Um, but so that was how much she was fined. And so she got another bartending job at Ev's Eleventh Hour Bar. Um, she wanted to open an Italian restaurant eventually. That was her dream. She's actually Italian American and was she grew up in an Italian neighborhood. Um, there in Brooklyn. And then so she got a new apartment with her girlfriend, Mary Ann Zelenko. Um, Same girlfriend? Different one. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, I don't think Dee and her lasted long after the arrest. Ah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they met in 1963, so two years after her arrest. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, she could, couldn't be with a jailbird. Guess not. She was trying to turn her life around. Yeah. She's like, I can't. I can't do this. So, 1963 with Mary. Anyway, the murder. 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 So, she's still working on the bar. She's working on the bar. At the bar. (laughs) (laughs) So, she's still working at the bar. And one night on March 13th, 1964. So, we're looking at 2.30 a.m. She leaves work um, and is heading home. Um, So, she stops at a red light on Hoover Avenue and was spotted by Winston Mosley. He was sitting in a parked car. Um, she arrives home at 3.15 a.m. And she parked in an alley um, near the rear of her apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was only about 100 feet from her apartment door. So mm. not far away. Um, so Mosley had actually followed her home. He had exited his car um, holding a hunting knife and approached Kitty. She ran. He overtook her and stabbed her twice in the back. So. Lovely. Yes. <laughs> exactly what you want to happen when you come home from a long day at work. So she screams, oh my god, he stabbed me, help me. Several neighbors heard her cry, but only a few recognized it as a cry for help. Neighbor Robert Moser, like, opened up his window and shouted, let that girl alone. And that scared him off. Oh, good. Yes. So Mosley ran and Kitty slowly like went towards the rear entrance of the apartment building, having just gotten stabbed twice. Mosley was seen getting into his car, driving away, and then he returns 10 minutes later. Um, Later uh, interviews with him says that he realized after hearing the neighbor yell that people could see his car. So he went to move it away and then came back for her. I mean, I guess it, well, it didn't really work out for him. He got caught, but. Yes. It worked out for the murder. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he returns 10 minutes later. He found Kitty lying in a hallway in the building. So she got in. um, She got into like this little hallway (laughs) place in her apartment, but she couldn't get in further because of a locked door. So he stabs her, rapes her, stole $49 and ran away again $49 $49 which remember she was fined $50 and that was $416 so I'm guessing that's like her okay, bartending why tips. did she have $49 on her then if that was worth like $400 she was just us. she got off a bartending shift that's what you I assume $400 in tips I mean a long night of bartending and you get like a dollar per dollar or two per drink I don't know what did you then huh <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. I I'm mean, like, drinks were expensive now. I bet they were back then. You won't catch me walking around with $50 in my wallet. <laughs> I, I didn't ask Kitty. <laughs> and pull we? out my Ouija board. <laughs> I demand you go home and ask her. No, I'll stay here and do it if you're going to bring that bad no. Mojo Jojo onto me. That's no, thank you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just reporting the facts. I have questions. <laughs> then Google them. <laughs> so he stabs her, rapes her, stole $49 out of her wallet, and ran again. So this attack only lasted about half an hour, including him running, reparking his car and coming back. <laughs> I just can't believe he went to move his car. Yep. <laughs> Moved his car and came back. If they already saw the car, then... I mean, he came back. That's the funny part. I'm sorry. Not, I know, like There's nothing funny about a murder, no, but, but that's pretty funny. But he moved the car because he thought they would see it, but then he came back anyway, and they've probably already seen the car. And you. <laughs> I mean, I remember the topic, bystander effect. Yeah, but the guy yelled So out far, the only one person's yelled out a window. So he saw. Yes. You know he saw. Mm-hmm. 
So she was found by a neighbor, Sophia Farr. Um, she was still alive at this moment. And Sophia, like, ran down out of... She lived in the apartment, and she was holding her and yelled out for somebody to call 911. Uh, well, not 911. So somebody to call the police. Um, and she was picked up with an ambulance at 4.15 a.m. So this is an hour after he approached her and died on the way to the hospital. So... There were a couple reports to the police. Um, they say that early calls were unclear and not prioritized. Oh, okay. Well, you'll understand here in a second. <laughs> so someone said that their father called after the first attack saying a woman was beat up but got up and was swaggering around. So I guess they were like, oh, well, she was injured, but she's she got up. Okay. So I guess for the Brooklyn police, it might not have been a priority which is terrible, but they did say something that, like, this murder was one of, like, 600 in that year. Mm. So they probably had a lot on their plate. <laughs> um, and then after the final attack, Carl Ross called the police, who arrived in minutes. So that was finally the call that got the police to come. There was this famous report that came out after the murder by Time Magazine, and they said that 38 of her neighbors had reportedly watched the killing but did nothing. So they reported this number of 38 people. But this article has since been debunked. They say that, like, very few actually knew what was going on, and most of them thought it was a lover's quarrel or something. Like, just somebody got beaten up. They didn't know she was stabbed. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. They said they... Didn't she yell, I've been stabbed? Yes. Okay. 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 Yes, this is why it's still bystander effect. <laughs> Check it. Yes. Yes, let's, let's go back to that quote. Oh my god, he stabbed me. Help me. <laughs> Doesn't get much clearer than that. Like, you know, in the midst of being stabbed, she, she, she did a good call for help. <laughs> so the Times article has been debunked. So they reported that three times he came back and attacked. Only two times. Still funny that he came back. I can't um, believe he just came back. <laughs> he really wanted that $49. Yes, he did. And the raping. Yeah, I was going to overpass that <laughs> that comes back that comes back <laughs> so they say that like only a few saw what happened outside and then the second one only one person saw what was happening inside um because they were inside the building someone stood in the stairs and watched you'll see <laughs> so more this article led to the bystander effect than a murder itself but there were a couple characters that did apply either way the Times article uh -huh. brought a lot of news and speculation to this case saying, oh, my God, 38 people watched this murder and nobody said anything until after. Uh, so it brought a lot of spotlight to it. When, in fact, it didn't it wasn't actually true, but there were some cases here that I'm going to talk about that did actually apply. Mm -hmm. So Joseph Fink probably I'm sorry, Mr. Joseph Fink, I'm going to say it. You're the biggest a-hole of the story. <laughs> Mr. Joseph, are you still alive? I mean, it's the 60s. There's a chance. <laughs> he was working in the apartment across the street. He saw the first attack. So the first time she got stabbed twice in the back. Didn't do anything. And then after Mosley fled, he went in and took a nap. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Because that's what I do after I witness a murder. I get sleepy. I'm going to just stand here and watch you get stabbed. Now I'm going to go take a nap. Oh, he ran away? Mm. Nothing I can do. Guess I'll take a nap. <laughs> He's gone, man. So that's Joseph Fink. Number two, Carl Ross, which you we did hear his name. He was the one that eventually called the police after the final attack. He was a friend and neighbor there who lived in the apartment complex which is what the term neighbor means. I don't know why I did unnecessary repetition there. I mean, you could have a neighbor that's like next door. True. So he lived in the apartment complex. He was a friend of Kitty's. Um, he was drunk that night. So he heard attack number one, but didn't really see it or know what was going on. But the second actually happened outside of his door, uh, his apartment mm. door. So it was in that little hallway where mm -hmm. Kitty was locked in. And so he opened his door crack and as he's peeking out, he sees Kitty get stabbed and him like plunging the knife in. So he closed the door. I mean, I would definitely close the door to make the phone call. The phone call to his friend, 
Oh. In Los Angeles. <laughs> so he called a friend in LA. Not even close by. No. And told him what happened. And his friend's like, dude, don't do anything. So he told him not to do anything. So then he calls a neighbor there who lives in the complex who said, well, come on over, I guess, to get away from the murder that's happening. Yeah, but then you're going to walk past the murder. Well, he climbs out a window, goes across this little roof thing, and then oh. gets in the neighbor's apartment. <laughs> so he didn't, he didn't like step outside. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Dude, I was with you until you didn't call the police. Yeah. Open the door, see what's happening, close the door, probably lock the door. Yeah. And say 911. No, What's your emergency? What should I do in this situation? Call my friend in LA. <laughs> that didn't work out. Call a neighbor. Then eventually, after going to the neighbors, he did call 911. He was the person who called. Sorry, he did not call 911. 911 was not invented yet. Called the police. Okay, well, it's 911 to us. Yes, sorry, everyone. Any future mistakes, just go ahead and insert the police. Sorry, anybody who's older than 911. Yes. <laughs> So last but not least, um, the third person of who did not qualify for the bystander effect was Sophia Farrar, who did come down and uh, see Kitty after she had been raped and attacked. Bill Genovese, Kitty's brother, was later quoted about her saying, all five foot nothing of her went flying down the stairs at 3.30 in the morning. She didn't know what she's going to come upon. She hadn't given a second thought to whether the guy was still there or not. Go, Sophia. However... How does this brother know that she came flying down the stairs? She could have been, like, tiptoeing. So, Bill Genovese, um, he is, A, there's a new newer documentary about Kitty's murder because he has been releading an investigation to find out actually what happened. Um, he was one of the people who found out, like, just how wrong that Times article was. Ah. So, I mean, this was his sister. He wanted to know what actually happened. So he was there for, like, all the court proceedings, everything that happened after. Heard Sophia's testimony, obviously probably talked to her because she was there during his sister's last moments. So that's probably how he knew. Makes sense. So, and then also those two neighbors that reported calling beforehand, before Carl Ross, the, the police don't actually have a log of those calls. Yes. So there is some gray area about what actually happened with this case, but there was the fact that A, a neighbor called out the window saying, hey, there's a girl there. Another person reportedly witnessed her get up and like fight. So there was a lot of bystander effect happening with this. Uh There was still people who saw it and didn't do something. So that's that. So the investigation, Mary Ann Zelanko, her girlfriend was was questioned and suspected. Uh, they were originally looking to pin the murder on her, thinking that she had done it, being her lover. Lover's quarrel. Yes. But on March 19th, 1964, so six days after what happened to Kitty, um, Winston Mosley was arrested for suspected robbery. Um, they found a TV in his car, and his car was a white Chevrolet Corvair. Were there $49 in his car? No. But it was the car scene at the crime. I needed to be $49 on the dot. $49. He did not spend a single dollar. (laughs) No, they found a TV, but they did notice the car was, hey, this was the car reported by witnesses. Hmm. Pretty quickly, he admitted to the the murder of Kitty. Um, He said, yeah, I did it. And then also two other women, but he wasn't charged for those. Just Kitty. Yes. The first was Annie Mae Johnson. She was shot and burned to death in her apartment. Uh, the second that was rough. Yes. The second was Barbara Krillick. Uh, um, she was killed in her parents' home, but somebody else, um, Alvin Mitchell, had confessed to this murder, which threw in some. They didn't know for sure who actually killed her. So both. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they tag teamed on it. So that's why he was in charge for both of those. They were like, well, we know for sure it was Kitty, but we don't know about the other two. Just wasn't enough evidence. So the motive. Why do you think he did this? For $49. For $49? (laughs) Survey says. No. He just wanted to kill a woman. Oh. Because women are easy to kill. Okay. I think I like the $49 better. I do too. Sexist. <laughs> at 2 a.m. on that fateful day, Winston Mosley left his wife at home. Ah. Yes. Drove to find a victim, 
He saw Genevieve at that stoplight and followed her home saying, hmm, yep, this will do. Can you imagine, like, just you're sitting at a stoplight and you have no idea that this guy who's wanting to kill a woman sees you and decides, yep, there it is. It's like picking out a restaurant. You're driving by, you see one you like, you're like, yep, that's what I'll have for dinner tonight. <laughs> He's so nonchalant about it. It's like, I'm in the mood for murder. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your wallet. <laughs> he is a classified necrophile. Oh, okay. The rape would come back, I told you. <laughs> He's a classified um, necrophile. He was guilty with the death pencil, uh, guilty with the death penalty. And Judge Shapiro, who presided over the case, said, I don't believe in capital punishment, but when I see a monster like this, I wouldn't hesitate to pull the switch myself. Oh. That's how much he did not like this guy. Interesting. <laughs> yes. Later, his sentence was reduced to life in prison. Thanks. <laughs> I am a person who thinks life in prison is much worse than the death penalty. I so. agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the case of Kitty Genovese. So every time that you said Kitty, all I could think of was the That's So 70s Show Mom. I kept thinking Kitty from Monsters, Inc. Oh. I kept thinking Kitty. I kept just seeing Kitty <laughs> in my mind. And was oh. Like, oh. Oh. <laughs> Poor Kitty. Well, you can find Kitty's mugshot from her bookmaking days. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I've already told Darby this, but I don't have my hat so I'm picking a number. We are. We have this right. Google random number picker. So I counted out all the topics that are in my hat. If you're interested, minus the ones that we've already done, I have 55 topics left. So we are going to, Darby, if you want to click the generate button. Ooh, number five. All right. Let's see. Which one is it going to be? Two, three, four. <gasps> phobias Ooh, that'll be a good one that will so i don't know if i'll have any case studies on that one but we will get to learn maybe I'll... so many phobias so many also, so much vocabulary yes there's gonna be a lot <laughs> i'm gonna try my try my best with all the pronunciation but i'm gonna try to find some weird out of the box ones for us so i also don't have any real phobias other than heights but you know i have a ton you do. I do. I'm a scaredy cat. Oh, I have conquered have a lot of fears. Follow us. Yes. You can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. We have a new Patreon. Check us out. Don't, Darby, you're in charge of social media. What are all those? <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Mad as a Hatter. Awesome. So you guys, as always, we look forward to our next trip down the rabbit hole, and that will be... Sunday with Darby and Jack the Ripper. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. Me too. All right. See you next time.